Hello, and welcome to the Says Who post-election show. I'm your host, Dan Sinker. And I'm Maureen Johnson. I can't believe it's all over, Dan. Me either, Maureen. Me either. And talk about a plot twist. No one expected that ending. No one. I'm still staggered over the news. I never thought everything would go so smoothly. And that concession speech was so gracious. It really was remarkable. And just the way that everyone has come together to start the healing process, you know? I just wasn't expecting it. Everyone hugging in the streets like that. And the dancing. And that national day of pie. Oh, yeah. We are a country that is just loving and accepting each other and eating every kind of pie. I have eaten six kinds of pie today, Maureen. And I've turned into a bird. Uh, Goodbye, Dan. Our work is over. What? Whoa, Maureen just flew away. Uh, Hello? Hey, Dan, where are you? What? We're supposed to be recording. What? uh, Maureen, what what time is it? Are you sleeping? Sorry, yeah. uh, The baby was up most of the night, but are we... It's still a weird dream. You turned into a bird. What? Sorry. Uh, all right. If we got to record, all right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna head down to the basement. Should have known that dream was too good to be true. All that pie. Jesus, hold on to your horses, Maureen. I need to get set up. All right. Hey, Maureen. Hello. Who is this? It's me. M- Maureen. No, this is the future, Dan. I'm calling to warn you. You're what? I don't have much time. You have to get out before the election. You need to leave now. Wait. What? Can you hang on? That's that's my other phone? Don't hang up! Well, just hold on. Uh, hello? Don't listen to the other one. Everything is fine. Stay where you are. The election is fine. Oh my god, this is some kind of Inception thing, isn't it? No, it isn't. Inception was super confusing. Hang on, I'm, I'm talking to someone else. Did the other one call? I was afraid of that. The other one lies. Don't listen to it. This might not be an Inception thing. This might be just a straight-up election thing? What the fu- How many phones do I have? Hello? Dan, this is very important. Listen to me very carefully. Do not answer your other two phones. Oh my god, what is happening, Maureen? I don't even think I have more than one phone. The calls are coming from inside of your house. Get out of your house. God! Okay, I'm... I'm outside. Look up. Okay, I'm... I'm Maureen? I'm a bird! Uh, no, more phones! Hello? What? What? Dan? Am I awake right now? Dan, are you okay? Maureen, this election is either inceptioning me or Donnie Darkoing me, and I've always been super confused by both of those movies, so I need you to make it stop. You're fine, as long as no big rabbits appear. Anyway, I thought we were going to record, but you didn't show up online. Okay, uh, all right, uh, I'm gonna, I'm just going to go down to the basement now. Okay, that sounds good. Nothing bad ever happens to anyone who says those words. See you soon. All right, talk soon. Okay, I'm awake. I'm awake.
awake. It's fine. I'm going to go down to the basement. I'm just going to go down to the basement. Hi, Dan. Yeah, Maureen, what are you doing here? I'm here to record, just like we discussed. Maureen, you're actually here in my bit, and you, you sound kind of creepy. Are you real? For real, Dan, you need to sleep more. You seem tired. Here, let me pour you a drink. God, you know what? I definitely could use a drink. Thank you so much. Man, what was that? Oh, it's just red rum. What? Red one. The election is over. Red one! Oh my god. It's President Trump time! I want the Trump presidency to go on forever. And ever. And ever. And ever. Make the phone ring. Make the phone ring. Make the phone ring! Hi, welcome to Says Who, and we're still in the election of 2016. I'm Maureen Johnson. And that is Dan Sinker. Hi, Dan. Hi. Dan, are you going to introduce our guest for today's podcast? Uh, our, our, our podcast? Right, okay. Uh, our guest Our guest today is... Um, Maureen, I'm sorry. I had just just had a really it's okay. weird it's okay. Of... It's okay. It's okay. I'll I'll do it. I'll do it. It's fine. Our guest today is a giant rabbit. Say says who? Giant rabbit. Says who? Welcome to Says Who, the podcast that isn't a podcast. It's a coping strategy. I'm Dan Sinker. And I'm Maureen Johnson. Welcome to the Halloween edition of Says Who. It's, okay, it's not really a Halloween edition. It just happens to be the episode that overlaps Halloween. Maureen, I've been scared enough by all the ghosts that have come to visit us on this podcast before. Please say there are no ghosts today, right? Please say right. No ghosts, no ghosts. But today is 13 days until the election. Are you scared? I am always scared, Maureen. But we are in this super weird period between the last debate and the election. There should be a name for whatever this is. Halloween! It's weird also because the debate in the middle of the week last week, we've actually only gone four days between tapings. And so, like on the surface, it doesn't feel like a lot happened. But then when you actually start to list it out, there was that disastrous and bizarre Al Smith dinner where Trump was actually booed and there was his Gettysburg address thing where mostly he just talked about everyone he was going to sue. And of course, every single day there have been more women coming forward to say that he groped them. Did you actually watch that Al Smith dinner? I did not. I decided to cuddle with a baby and it was amazing. Yeah, that's uh, I watched it. And, you know, I can't really fully explain why, because in any other year, there's just no way I would have watched this thing. But, uh, you know, 2016 means that it's 2016. So I watched live feed of rich people eating food on a stage. And mm. I genuinely, I actually think that that's what they used to do in Versailles. Like you would go and for entertainment, watch rich people eat food. And it was supposed to be that the candidates lightly roast each other and it raises money for charity somehow. And what happened instead was that I Trump was, you know, you're supposed to make a couple self-deprecating jokes, a couple light jokes about your opponent, say how the great the charity is and sit down. And Trump first for his self-deprecating joke 
threw his wife Melania under the bus and then made her stand up and take it. And then he proceeded to, instead of telling jokes, just like say horrible accusations about like he was basically like Hillary is so corrupt. And and you could see the people sitting behind him just sweating and their eyes are getting big. And they're just it was it. He got booed and the atmosphere was palpably tense at what is supposed to be a very, you know, kind of lightweight conversation dinner. And then Hillary got up there and did something that was a little bit different, but still pretty hard. And the equivalent of that thing where in movies they light the lighter and throw it over their shoulder. And then as they walk away, there's an explosion. <laughs> so it was sort of like that. And overall, I it was, I think, actually more amazing to watch than the debate because it was so like you could watch the reactions of other people around them. And it was so tense. Um, so any one of these things would have rocked a campaign in any other year, but now it like barely registers. It's like, oh, it's a slow weekend. Maybe that's just how it's going to go now, right? Maybe, maybe we've seen the worst of it, and it's just a kind of a calm sail into port now. Yeah, probably. That's probably what's going to happen. We're just going to coast. Probably. Maureen, I don't like this. You don't like what? They're never going to let it go this easily. Dan, this election has gotten you into a negative thought spiral. Sometimes... Things just work out. You know, you don't need to worry about everything. Wait, are you still creepy, Dream Maureen? How can you say this? I'm saying it because it's true. One of the most dastardly outcomes of this whole stupid election cycle is that it's got people hooked on news, freaked out constantly, and reading into everything that happens. I genuinely think people were calmer during the London Blitz than in this election. So you're not worried? Of course I'm worried, but I'm keeping my head in the game. My job is to vote, to make says who, to encourage other people to vote, and maybe even hose down some of the fear-mongering hate vomit that the Trump campaign horks over us every day. They hork, we hose. They hork, we hose. It's kind of gross, but oddly catchy. Are you saying that calm, positive action is can actually kind of counteract all this hate and terror? It's worth a try. Are you on your medication? I'm on a lot of medication, Dan, but the sun is shining. I have the Hamilton soundtrack. There are dogs and pie. I'm trusting in the model, and we have the ability to vote. I'm not throwing away my shot. They hork, we hose. Yeah, Lin-Manuel Miranda's phrasing is maybe a little less gross than You just got to give it time. Give it time. It'll catch on. Let's try it out on our guest. With just two weeks to go before this election finally ends. Hopefully ends. Probably ends. I'm definitely feeling calmer than I thought at this point and ready for this whole thing to come to a close. Possibly come to a close. Yeah, this is not an election where a person can let their guard down. So since it feels like there could be more to these final weeks than meets the eye, we wanted to bring in someone who's been following this race since it started many hundreds of, I almost said years, but it's only been hundreds of days ago. Olivia Nuzzi is a political reporter for The Daily Beast. She's followed the twists and turns of this campaign since the very start of the Republican primary season 
in the many, many, many moons ago days of early 2015 and has been covering the Trump campaign for the duration of the general election. If anyone can help us make sense of this and hopefully understand what traps may lay ahead, it's Olivia. But please, to start, Olivia, having been on the Trump beat, you've got to be looking forward to this thing wrapping up. (laughs) It does feel like it's been hundreds of years. I feel so old now. And I I feel so tired. (laughs) I can't remember anything. Um, I feel like everyone who's covering this race is just aging rapidly and cannot wait for it to be over. But at the same time, I'm a little nervous for, you know, if he doesn't win, like the the poll suggests that he won't. Um, I'm a a little afraid about what I'm going to do on November 9th. You know, I've been devoting so much mental energy to him for 17 months that I'm not going to be very used to not having to think about him every day. How close do you get to him? How how are you? Um, I've interviewed him a couple of times, a few times like in scrums where, you know, reporters sort of swarm him like bees and then disperse. Um, and then I've interviewed him um, on the phone before and I interviewed him in his office in Trump Tower for uh, GQ a few months ago. Um, and, you know, it's strange. He He's not Obviously, he's not like a typical politician. I mean, we all know that. But the way that that manifests in person is strange because he doesn't really shake hands. He's not he's not very good at it. Um, when he does it, it's very awkward. He can't really make eye contact. Um, he's not a great conversationalist. And so, you know, we all hear, oh, well, he's not a politician. But what that actually means up close um, is sort of it's bizarre to experience. He is a... I mean, this is a genuine, he is a germaphobe or he's a, he has issues with, that's a, you well, know. He, yeah, he definitely, I mean, he has a reputation for being a germaphobe, but he's seemed to overcome that in the last oh, 17 okay. months. You can't, you know, you can't run for president and not shake hands and kiss babies. You just can't do it. Um, but when I went, walked into his office, it's on the 26th floor of Trump Tower and it's like this horrific looking spaceship covered in bronze and like beige carpeting and these ridiculously expensive chairs uh from like design within reach and um i extended my hand to shake his hand and he was sitting down at his desk and he just looked at my hand like he didn't know what i wanted him to do with it and i just stood there for a second and then he it seemed to click for him and he said oh and he got up and he shook my hand uh, so he just has no idea how to like be a human being let alone be a politician oh this is a magical story and i have a million questions <laughs> <laughs> dan you better take over because my my questions are 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 so there's just they're crowding into my head i'm like what does it smell like in there and is it shiny and oh (laughs) it's actually it's very old looking in there it looks like they haven't really updated it since maybe like the early 90s and that makes so much sense yeah the thing that struck me is like the receptionist desk is like this uh round brown leather desk which i've never seen a uh a desk made out of like fabric before but it had this rip in the bottom of it like like this huge rip that was really difficult not to notice when I was sitting in the waiting room. And I just thought it was weird. It's sort of like the Playboy Mansion in a way, you know, like before they sold it, there were all those stories about, you know, journalists who would go there who were shocked by how decaying it was. And that's sort of how I look at Trump Tower or the 26th floor, at least. It's like this relic to the early 90s and it's literally falling apart. And he doesn't seem to notice because he's, I don't know, he's too uh, into himself. 
I, I mean, of of all the people that we have that we have talked to, I think you are you're the only one that is really covering the Trump beat, right? Um, not only not only has that allowed for for that type of insight, but you've also met a lot of supporters and also these kind of odd characters and cronies along the way. And I'm just kind of curious, like. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I mean, you've been in this place for so long, you know, kind of what what have you learned from it all? Um, <laughs> that's a big question. I don't know. I mean, it's it's difficult because when you meet a lot of these people, whether they are supporters or they work on the campaign or they're surrogates, most of them are really nice people and likable people. And I sort of have to ask myself every day covering this campaign, you know, how I, what my beliefs are and how I feel about these people and what they're doing. And uh, I have to sort of always step back and look at the bigger picture because when you're just, you know, talking over drinks with someone or you meet someone out at an event, it's very easy to be chummy with them and like them. Um, or if you're interviewing them, it's very easy to like them. But then you have to think, well, like, what is their role in this democracy and in this society? And is it ethical to like them? Uh, is it fair of me to be kind to them uh, in my work? You know, when they're doing something that I, not as a biased, you know, person, but as as a journalist and as someone who cares about democracy, uh, vehemently oppose. And so I've had to ask myself that a lot as I've covered sort of like the different characters on the Trump campaign and, and the peripheral characters to his world. On the day that this episode comes out, there are going to be about 13 days left in this election. And do you think that there are any opportunities to really move, do you see anything coming around the corner based on your experience um, that could change, move the needle, change how things seem to be going? I mean, things are looking pretty bad for Donald Trump right now. I mean, we're recording this on October 24th and Mm -hmm. she, Hillary Clinton is leading him by 6.1 points in the average of polls from uh, real clear politics. I mean, it's it's a pretty big lead, and you know, it's not as big as you would think, given how bad of a candidate Donald Trump is and, and how troubled he's been in the last few weeks, but it is a pretty substantial lead. And I think the problem is, you know, unless there is some sort of WikiLeaks bombshell, which that seems wholly unlikely, seeing what they've released so far, there's very little that he can do at this point to change his trajectory. I mean, the problem with Hillary Clinton is the same sort of problem that Donald Trump has, which is that we know so much about both of them. It's not, you know, voters have been paying attention to them and hearing their names for 30 years. And so there's not much that we can learn about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton to change our minds about them, because most people are pretty fixed in their ways about how they feel about them. So I think for Donald Trump to change things at this point, I I mean, it would require us finding something out about Hillary Clinton that fundamentally changes how people feel about her, which seems very unlikely. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's one of the things that is is interesting to me, because right now we're in this weird little nether region between the the three debates, which felt like purgatory and the (laughs) and the and the election. And, you know, it's this two week window where for me, at least it I'm super stressed out, yet there's no thing right to be like oh well at least there's a debate or at least there's this or that like what are you 
looking for in in this two weeks? Like kind of how are you thinking about this this two week window before Election Day actually hits? I mean, it's overwhelming because it's like, you know, there are a lot of stories I want to do that I feel like, oh, I don't have time to do them, (laughs) you know, before Election Day comes. And I think it's just sort of like everyone feels like they just need to be watching Donald Trump's speeches much more closely, watching Hillary Clinton's events much more closely, because, you know, for Donald Trump, at least that's where that's all that he cares about. Right. All that he cares about is the rallies. It's where he feels most himself. Um, It's. I think what made him enthusiastic about his campaign in the first place when he went out on the trail and he realized that there were thousands of people who wanted to hear what he had to say for whatever reason. And so, I mean, it's, it just seems like that is what he's going to be doing nonstop for the next two weeks. If you look at his schedule, he's got, I think, like three different rallies on his schedule today uh, in Florida. And it's, I mean, it feels sort of overwhelming, but at the same time, like you said, there's nothing to be particularly overwhelmed about because there's no big event coming up until election day. So it's just sort of like a waiting game until then. Everyone seems equally anxious. Given what you've seen, and let's just play the scenario that he does not win. I'm not trying to jinx anything. Just let's say he doesn't win. How, based on his character, and I know we've seen his character on television, and we have this idea that he's not a great loser. He's going to take it badly. He's going to make lots of weird excuses. Do you have any other insight as to how he would process a loss? Everything that he has said so far in the last two weeks seems like he's setting himself up to excuse his own loss, right? When he says that the polls are rigged, uh, you know, they're suppressing the vote, or the system is rigged, the whole democracy is rigged, he doesn't know if he's going to accept the outcome of the election. These, like, pretty much unprecedented statements from a major party nominee in a democracy. I think it's all to set it up so that when he does inevitably lose, as the polls suggest that he will right now, he can say, oh, well, I've been talking about this for months. I knew it was rigged. You know, this isn't a surprise to me. I've been trying to warn you about the system. Um, I, I mean, previously, I think it was like a year ago when he talked about losing. He said something to the effect of, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, if I lose, you will never hear from me again. You know, I will go away. <laughs> I will fall off the face of the earth. You won't hear from me again. And I think he's someone who, you know, even if he does initially do what he did after he lost the Iowa caucus, which is say, you know, the system is rigged. I should have won. Uh, I, I think he is someone who will retreat into the darkness, suffering a loss this big. You know, this isn't the Iowa caucus. This isn't losing out on an Emmy. This is something he's been working his entire life towards. And he's investing a lot of money, though not quite as much money as he claims he's invested into this project. And I think he will be emotionally devastated to the degree that he has the capacity to feel emotions by a loss like this. I mean, so that's him, right? Um, But you've spent Mm -hmm. a lot of time with with his supporters. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I, 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 I definitely we were talking with with Molly Ball last week. And, you know, she was she was talking about how in in her mind, she sees kind of all of this language as sort of him hyping the the final episode of this series that he's on called the presidential election right and mm-hmm. and it, it it was at that moment that it dawned on me like the way he's talking about it or the way he's thinking about it 
and the way his supporters are talking and thinking about it are actually quite different. You know, I mean, in in you know, maybe maybe you're correct, and he does sort of disappear, but they don't. You know, and so having spent right having spent real time with them, kind of, what do you think? How does this play out uh, outside of Trump? It's hard to say because you know, as much as a lot of his supporters are similar, they are very different across the board too. There, there are a lot of them, as he likes to point out. You know, he got 14 million votes, um, and when you meet them, I mean, some of them really do just buy wholesale into whatever he says. The system is rigged. You know, whatever they're being screwed over all the time. But some of them are really just like people who feel like they've been left behind and are nervous and he is speaking anger for them because, you know, they don't have the personality where they would ever say those sort of things publicly. I think those people, the sort of more subdued Trump supporters who, you know, are not necessarily evil or, or hateful might become calloused and less likely to engage in the future in politics. But I think, you know, the, the supporters that you see, you know, wearing the, grotesque shirts about Hillary Clinton, you know, or saying lock her up or calling her a bitch. Those sort of people I think are going to be emboldened by a loss and I think become more active and and possibly uh, more violent in their rhetoric than they've been. And I I imagine, you know, they will organize together and and sort of, I I could see there being another Tea Party type of movement happening uh, among the alt-right in this country if Donald Trump loses. How have you kind of processed your time on the Trump beat? Because you've having to travel with it, listen to it every day, deal with things online. Is there how are how are you? Is sort of what I'm what I'm wondering. <laughs> Not great. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've been better. No, you know, it's I turned off my Twitter mentions a couple of I guess maybe like a month ago now because it was just getting to be so much. All of the the hate that I was receiving every day online was getting to be, I was, it was getting to the point where it was making it difficult for me to do my job and and be online and pay attention to what people were saying. Um, And since doing that, it's been a little bit easier, Um, but it does sort of wear on you, you know, when, when every time you write something and you send it out into the world, it's received with like a dozen pieces of hate mail and like 500 tweets from people telling you that they hate you. It definitely does wear on you. Um, and so I, I'm trying not to, I try not to get, you know, upset about it or like put too much stake into what people on the alt-right say to me, but it definitely, it, it, it's hard to ignore it sometimes. Like I was at a press conference in uh, Las Vegas last week the day of the debate. And uh, there were some alt-right people there in person and they followed me out of the press conference and put a camera in my face and started, you know, yelling questions at me and live streaming it um, for like 10 minutes while I waited for my Uber. And when things like that happen, it's, you know, it's difficult to ignore it. It's, you can't just block those people on Twitter when they're there in real life. Um, so it's, it's been, it's been an experience, I guess I would say. Um, but, you know, it's almost over and, and nothing dramatically traumatic has happened to me in the last 17 months that, you know, I won't be able to get over. Do you have any do other journal and this is do other journals, do you have like a kind of mutual support kind of group at all? Or any of you guys in touch about how to I, I don't know if this is even possible, but like, do you guys share any yeah, tips? Yeah, definitely. 
Definitely. I mean, I, I'm friends with sort of like a, a band of young female journalists and we all deal with, you know, hate mail and, and people harassing us. Uh, I think in a way that's different from what male journalists have to deal with um, or different from, you know, what uh, more mature journalists have to deal with. Um, and so it definitely, you know, if someone is being harassed really uh, dramatically, you know, they'll ask for advice and, and we try and help each other. Um, but, you know, there's no, everyone reacts to that type of thing differently. So there's no one thing you can do to, uh, you know, make yourself feel better or cope with it. Sure. Um, I mean, you've been, you've been covering politics for, for a time before this election. And mm -hmm. I mean, I know anyone that, anyone that puts themselves out even as a non-political journalist gets, you know, gets hate mail and, 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 you know, has the potential for harassment. But I'm curious about what, what do you think has made it so this election is eliciting that level of vitriol and, 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 and all of this? Well, I mean, the candidate, <laughs> you know, the candidate himself is basically a Twitter troll. And I think that sort of makes people think that it's okay to to talk the way that he talks or to talk worse than he talks. You know, I, I didn't cover 2012. I was too young. Um, and, but from everyone I know that did cover 2012, this election, 2016, is way worse in terms of harassment and, and you know, sort of the mood of, of people who were at these events. Um, and I, I really do think it's because the candidate is sort of enabling them and telling them that it's okay with his own behavior and his own rhetoric. I mean, you just, that people will get mad at me on the left if I ever cover Hillary Clinton. Most of the time I cover Donald Trump. But, you know, they don't send rape threats or death threats or Photoshop me into a Nazi soldier. You know, it's just, but that kind of stuff is like par for the course among the alt-right. And I think it really just has to do with, I mean, the, there's the old saying that the fish rots from the head. And I think that's what's happening here where you have a candidate sort of just telling these people that their behavior is okay and not just okay, but, but good. On, on November 9th, do you get to get transferred to the puppies and kittens beat or something like <laughs> yeah what about disney world that seems like it might need some uh, coverage i i really have been entertained pretty much every second of every day for 17 months and i i don't know if people covering past republican nominees could say the same so as you know as terrible as some aspects of it have been i think it's been you know for the first campaign i'm covering on the ground i think it's been probably as good as any experience could be. This is probably a, stu a stupid, I just have a, I'm dying to know. This is possibly a stupid question, but are you guys on the, you're not on the Trump plane? The Daily Beast? No. I mean, I, I suppose we could be. Um, but there are journalists no. that are flying on the Trump plane? There are journalists who are, on my understanding, there are journalists who are on like a Trump charter, but they're not actually on Donald Trump's private plane. I, okay. you know, I think there have been cases where like there's going to there's like a magazine journalist or like Mark Halperin who will fly with Donald Trump for like a single trip. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is not my understanding. There is not you know a full tribe of reporters on his private plane every day. And, and he flies home every night. Is that correct? Most nights. Um, mm -hmm. I think if he has the option of staying at, you know, one of his hotels, he does that. But I think 
if it's at all feasible, he flies home when he when he can. It's a strange life. <laughs> I mean, I would want to fly home too, right? It's it's tiring to stay in hotels, and if if you have you know, the sort of quirks that he has in terms of like cleanliness and, and germophobia, I could see why he'd want to sleep in his own bed as often as possible. Right? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the few things that I cannot fault the man for, you know, <laughs> I, I would definitely, I definitely prefer sleeping uh, at home over anywhere else. I'm, I'm curious, you know, you said that, that, uh, you know, every day has been, you know, every day has been something. And, and, and I'm curious, kind of looking back now, what, what has surprised you from this? Everything. I mean, I have been surprised at every turn this election, which, and that itself surprises me because I thought, I thought I was too cynical to be surprised by anything. I was surprised when, he won the nominate. I was surprised when he won New Hampshire. I was surprised when he won South Carolina. I was surprised when Chris Christie endorsed him. I thought I was, you know, too cynical to be surprised by anything like that, but I was shocked by it. Um, I was surprised when he won the nomination. <laughs> I've been surprised that he hasn't dropped out. I mean, I every single aspect of this election has surprised me. Um, and I, I, I distinctly remember on that day, on June 16th, 2015, my editor telling me, I need you to, to go to this today or watch this today. Um, I promise it's just one day. You don't have to write about him again after this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, fine. I'll write about it. And, you know, then it was the next day I had to write about it. Then he filed the paperwork and it's just been nonstop, you know, every day since then. I mean, I'm curious, I'm curious with that, when was the moment where it sunk in that this was not going to be quick, right? When was that moment where it was like, holy shit, I got to do this job for a while now? <laughs> you know, I never really had like a, oh, this is never going to end, kill me sort of moment. But I, I did like, I guess it was after the John McCain thing, which I, I want to say it was definitely in 2015 when he said John McCain is not a war hero and he preferred uh, people who hadn't been captured. And when that didn't result in, you know, mass condemnation across the board and in him, you know, putting his head between his legs and, and saying, okay, like I've gone too far, I need to drop out. I think it was at that point that I realized, you know, there is literally nothing he can do or say that is going to sink him in the polls. But even then, I mean, until, until he started winning the primaries left and right, I was still deferring to political scientists and deferring to, you know, the so-called experts who were supposed to listen to, who were saying, well, you know, people get more serious, you know, the closer that it gets to voting and there's no way he's going to win the entire thing. You know, it's just not possible. And then at some point, as he started to win all these primaries, it became clear that, you know, this election is different and, and that all of the so-called experts, all of the people who are paid to know what they're talking about have been revealed to know very little. <laughs> and, and I think once I realized that, then it was like, okay, there's no telling what's going to happen from this point on. Can it go lower? Is there one more 
Hail yeah. Mary moment. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I think there's. <laughs> I think it's definitely going to get worse in the next oh. two weeks. I don't know how it's going to get worse, but oh. all of the evidence suggests that it can and will get worse. <laughs> oh. I think I was honestly expecting you to say, no, I think he's probably going to just try to ride it out and have his, and you're, nope, oh, well. Well, I mean, I think he's, I mean, if you, I mean, during the debates, he obviously made an effort, at least in the first 30 minutes, to keep it together, right? To listen to his notes from Kellyanne Conway and try and just be, you know, a normal human being. Uh, But he can't do that. He just doesn't have the capacity to not be himself all the time. And I think... It's only going to get crazier from here on out. Oh, given that, have we been in the normal first 30 minutes and now it's about the page is about to turn? (laughs) Well, I mean, he said, what was it, last week, time is like all running together for me. But he said, you know, that the shackles are now off. And my first thought when I read that was, when were they on? Like, when, at what point was he shackled? Yeah. Like, was it when he was saying John McCain's not a war hero, when he was making fun of Megyn Kelly for having her period? Like, when was he shackled? Um, but I think, you know, he's just at the point now where it's like, he's going to do whatever he feels like, whenever he feels like it. And to hell with the advice that he's getting from, you know, the so-called experts he's employing. I, be, for reasons I cannot fully understand, I watched the Al Smith dinner, and <laughs> which if anybody listening to this doesn't know what that is, it was a charity event that was the day after the, event, uh, the debate, the last debate, which for some reason is, is televised and a big deal, and both the candidates quote-unquote roast each other, and it was like those people sitting on the stage eating their food were just sweating profusely. It was completely insane. But then, I mean, uh, Cardinal Dolan um, was quoted by NBC, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but saying that, you know, the thing that wasn't caught on the cameras was when Donald Trump, he was sitting in between the two of them, when Donald Trump complimented Hillary Clinton and told her that, you know, she's very tough and talented, which seems completely bizarre to me. And even during, I think it was during the second presidential debate in St. Louis when, you know, someone in the audience, it was a town hall style one, someone in the audience asked him, asked both of them to compliment each other. And he gave her a, a very sincere compliment. He said that she just doesn't give up. She doesn't quit. Um, so I think there is some part of Donald Trump, maybe it's because you know he's been running against her for so long now and she's still beating him, or maybe it's because they were friendly in the past. But I think there is some part of Donald Trump that really does admire Hillary Clinton and maybe is a little uh, conflicted about how he's been behaving for the last however long this general election has been going on. I can't even remember. He's he. So what you're saying is he's the last undecided voter in America. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, honestly, would it surprise you if you learned that he, you know, went in and, and voted for Hillary Clinton? Because I don't, I, at this point, it wouldn't surprise me. You just blew my mind. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm curious. So, yeah, I, I distinctly remember that moment when in the debate when he said that, 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 she never quit. Um, right. You, and my first thought was like, what an idiot. Because, you know, you're just basically he just created a commercial for the Hillary Clinton totally. campaign. They could very easily just take that clip and, and run it as an ad. You know, you're not supposed to actually compliment the person. You're supposed to give them a backhanded compliment like she gave to him. Right. Do you, do you 
Do you have any favorites for best secondary character in the story? Is it Chris Christie, Ken Bone, Kellyanne Conway? So many people in the cast. <laughs> I, I hate Ken Bone. I'm like very anti Ken Bone. I think he sucks. Um, okay. But my favorite, my favorite secondary character, um, I guess it's I guess it's Kellyanne Conway. I just think she's very interesting and sort of like completely living in her own universe when you when you listen to her on tv and uh she's so like peppy and and upbeat all the time and she has literally no reason to be at all do you think she cries a lot in the women's room you know i i was at the trump after party uh for some reason at the trump hotel after the oh. vegas debate oh and, my heart uh, <laughs> and there were like there weren't really any reporters there um it was just you know the trump surrogates and the staffers eating the very terrible pizza in that trump hotel in vegas the pizza there is so bad um but they were eating it and um i was talking to her and she just seems like she just seems like past the point of actually caring about how things are really going in this campaign you know there was a great profile of her in the new yorker i want to say last week by ryan lizza and the ending quote was that she was saying she her birthday i guess falls on inauguration day and either she's going to be at inauguration for her candidate or she's going on vacation with her family and her quote was either way i can't lose and so i really think that that is an honest statement from her i mean she you know if he loses she's not going to be blamed for it because he's losing because he's not taking her advice and if he miraculously pulls it off she's going to get like all of the credit so I, I think she's just a fascinating character because she really just doesn't seem to care anymore. Also, I'm picturing this party in my head and it sounds upsetting. Like it was just, very weird. Just sad really boxes decided, of pizza. <laughs> no, it actually, you know, I decided to stay at the Trump Hotel because I figured I might get a story out of it. And I ended up, you know, attending this party and getting a story out of it. Um, but it was just like it was in the, the restaurant in the lobby and the restaurant was half empty. And there were just these two long, like these two long tables filled with Trump, filled with like Omarosa and Kellyanne Conway and Katrina Pearson and Boris Epstein and all of these, you know, strange characters who populate Trump's orbit. Um, And they were happy. They were having a good time. And I realized that it's like he should not even be in the race at this point. So for them, every night from now until November 8th might as well be New Year's Eve because they are winning. Wow. Oh my god! Feels... I just imagine like blurred lines playing on a loop in the background. <laughs> it feels like the end of a end of a of a of a ensemble movie. You know, the end of Ocean's <laughs> Eleven. They all kind of depart at the end. Um, I mean, I'm curious, and as as sort of a last question, um, you know, you've this has been a, a fascinating conversation, and obviously a, a very fascinating. 15 or 18 months or however insanely long it has been. Um, And I'm curious about kind of how you, this is something we've asked most everyone that's been on, you know, kind of how, what is the self-care that you do, right? How do you kind of turn it around every day? You know, what are you, what are your, what are your secrets to, to dealing with all this? Well, I try not to read any comments like I said, whatsoever. I try, I don't look at like what people say to me on Twitter. Um, and I try not to read hate mail or anything like that. Um, I should have a better self care 
<laughs> routine than I do now that I'm thinking about it. I, I try and just like take a few minutes every day and not talk to anyone or think about the election and just like sit quietly. And I'm hoping that will be enough to power me through for the next two weeks. That's amazing. That's, this is, that works. Yeah, this has been a, a just a fascinating conversation. I think we could probably <laughs> both of us have hours more questions, but uh, we're going to let you go and have that quiet time. Uh, Olivia <laughs> Nutzi is a political reporter for the Daily Beast. Uh, she is hanging on to that Trump train until uh, November eighth. Thank you so much for, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, good luck uh, wrapping up. Thank you for having me. Take care out there. That's it for this episode of Says Who. I know we say this every time, but thank you so much for listening. You know, we made Says Who just as a way for us to deal with this election. And when this election is over, says who melts away like Olaf from Frozen. Does it? I think. Well, we'll keep you in suspense, okay? Yeah, that phrase is ruined forever. Just put it on the list. But if you like what you hear, leave a comment on iTunes or spread the word on to your friends or Facebook or Twitter or anywhere else. That word of mouth has kept our weird little project going. And you're the reason Dan's in a basement and I'm hunkered in a dark closet. You still don't got a light, huh? No, baby steps, Dan. Baby steps. If you'd like to get in touch, we're on Twitter at Says Who Podcast, on Facebook at Slash Says Who Podcast. We're on the plain old internet at SaysWhoPodcast.com. And that's also where you can email us at Hey at SaysWhoPodcast.com. Our theme music is performed by Ted Leo, who has tour dates for November up now at Ted Leo tor.tumblr.com And our organ music is performed by Josh Cantor, who is also the official organist for the Boston Red Sox. The Says Who logo was made by the one and only Darth. That is at Darth on Twitter. Can we just take a moment to appreciate Darth? We can absolutely take that moment. Oh, Darth. Darth. Thank you, Darth. You are so great. Darth is great. From my basement in Chicago, I'm Dan Sinker. And from my closet in New York, I'm Maureen Johnson. Just 13 days left. Nothing can go wrong now. Maureen, no. You were supposed to say, says who? I can't believe you did that. Don't say nothing can go wrong. You jinxed us. Don't be so superstitious. Just say, says who? How do you undo a jinx? Quick. break a mirror. That is not how you do it. You get a raccoon to cross your path. That is not even a thing. Uh, you say, says who, three times into a microphone. Says who? Says who? Says who? There, you fixed it. Nothing can go wrong now. Ah! Uh, hello? Says who? Do you want any other rabbits? Says who? Says who?